This evening reading taken from John's chapter 21 from 1 to 14. On page 1090-1090. Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciple by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Canaan in Galilee, the son of Zebedee's, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to hold the net in because of the large number of fish. Then disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him saying, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, throwing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about hundreds meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coal there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciple after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Now, you may not know this, but the leaders and preachers group at this church met recently, and amongst other things, we've talked about having more testimony in our services. 
That is, inviting people who've got some kind of a story to tell about their Christian faith, how their faith is developing and growing, and perhaps come and tell us something about it. Well, I'm going to invite you to make a very brief testimony this evening. All right? I'm going to say to you, Christ is risen, and you're going to reply, as you did just now, beautifully, Christ is risen indeed, hallelujah. I'm going to invite you, if you can, and if you're willing, and if you're able, when you say that, and if you mean it, to stand. And then just stay standing for a couple of moments as I say something else. All right? You're invited, if you'd like to, to stand. Christ is risen. Now just take a little look around. Don't worry about the people who can't or won't stand, that's fine. Look at those who do, because these are your brothers and sisters in Christ who are prepared to stand by what they have just said. And you can be encouraged by the fact that you are not alone in believing that Jesus is risen from the dead. And if you happen to be one of those who stay seated and you're still inquiring about this, and that's fine, you might like to look around and find somebody sitting near you who does believe this and talk to them about it and see what they want. Thank you very much. Please take a seat. Let's come for a moment to prayer. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word this evening, we pray that you will speak to our hearts. Give us assurance and hope and a renewed desire to follow you in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Topo. Where are you, Topo? Thank you, Topo, for your reading. Um, It would be good if you could keep the Bible open at that passage because there's a couple of things I'd like to point out to you in the passage. Um, as we go along. It's a fascinating story, and um, just to be, mm, I don't know, a little perverse, we're going to start at the end of the reading, okay? So if you've got it open, you might like to look down to verse 14. Um, But I want to pick out a piece of verse 14. I want to pick out the last word in verse 14 and the last word in our reading. You may have noticed it. The word is dead. Dead. Jesus was dead. He was beaten. He had been crucified. He had been hung on a cross for several hours. I don't know if you've thought about hanging on a cross. It's not a lot of fun. It's difficult, in fact, for people who are hung on a cross to breathe. I don't know if you've ever been to a gym somewhere and tried hanging on just your arms. It's not that you can't breathe in, it's that you can't breathe out. Because hanging on your arms lifts your chest cavity and you fill your lungs with air and you can't get rid of it again. The only way to get rid of it is to push up on your feet, on the nails through your feet, in order to relieve the pressure on your lungs. Jesus has been hung on the cross for hours. But now he is dead. 
And when they inquire about whether or not he's dead, they've broken the legs of the two people crucified with him. They think he is dead. They take a spear and run it into his side, into his heart. And if you know the story, they get out a flow of blood and water. Let's not blame first century fishermen people and people like him for not understanding what's going on here. Blood and water is a perfectly good explanation. Those of us who are more modern and understand these things probably know that when you die, your blood cells, which are the red part of your blood, float in a relatively clear liquid called plasma. And when you die, the plasma and the blood clot tend to separate. So the fact that Jesus has a spear run into him and out of it flows blood and water, clear plasma, is a sign, a medical proof that Jesus is dead. The centurion who was in charge of the crucifixion confirmed it. He confirmed it himself by using the spear. He confirmed it to Pilate afterwards. Pilate is assured that Jesus is dead Jesus has spoken his last, breathed his last. The Sanhedrin, because it's coming to the Sabbath and the festival, they want the bodies taken down off the cross. They don't want prisoners released. They want dead bodies taken down. Everyone is convinced. Everyone agrees. Ask Joseph of Arimathea, if you could, who took his body and wrapped it in a cloth and laid it in his own tomb. Joseph would have known that Jesus is dead. Now, if you've still got your Bible open, back up three words. And you come to the word raised. Raised. He was raised from the dead. How do we know that Jesus was raised from the dead? It's Easter Sunday. It's worth thinking about these things. Well, first of all, the tomb was empty. Everyone agrees that the tomb is empty. Mary and the other women have been to the tomb and they get there, they find the stone rolled away, they find an angel or a young man sitting in there who says that the tomb is empty. They see that the tomb is empty. Peter and John visit the tomb and go inside and found the grave clothes still there, but Jesus' body is gone. Strange that when they talk, as they will in a minute, about somebody coming and stealing the body. If that was the case, they've stolen the only thing in the tomb that had no value, the body, and they're left behind the grave clothes with the, embedded in their spices the only thing that had value. Hmm, odd that. You could ask Joseph of Arimathea again. It was his tomb. He would know. I buried him here, but he's no longer here. And then there's the soldiers who were guarding the tomb. They know the tomb is empty. Incidentally, how the authorities must have been kicking themselves for ever suggesting that they guarded the tomb. If there'd been no guard on the tomb, it would have been quite reasonable to say the disciples came along and stole the body. At least it would have held up. But with 16 potentially Roman soldiers standing outside the tomb, guarding it, and they came and stole the body while we were asleep. Yeah, right. 
I don't know about you, I'm sometimes aware of what goes on in our house or in our bedroom when I'm awake, but when I'm asleep, I have no idea what's going on. How do they know who stole the body while they were asleep? And then, of course, there's not just the empty tomb, but there's the, the appearances of Jesus to his friends. People saw him, people touched him, people watched him do things, people watched him eat. They heard him speak. 500 people saw him at one time. Go and ask them, Paul suggests. He appeared to those who loved him. He appeared to those who doubted him. He appeared to those who opposed him, like Paul. James, Jesus' own blood brother, did not believe in Jesus until he appeared to him after the resurrection. These people were eyewitnesses of what went on. If that wasn't enough, most of these disciples become martyrs. Would they, would you, go to your death for believing what you knew to be a lie that you had made up? The church grew The church continues to grow on this single foundation. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. Resurrection is essential to your faith and mine. It's part of why you stood this evening. But back up in the Bible, another ten words... And you come to the third time. The third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. You may think, well, hold on, when was the first time? The first time is in the previous chapter, John 20, 19 and following. Easter day in the upper room, the day of the resurrection. Jesus comes to the upper room where his disciples are hiding for fear of the Jews. And he shows them his hands and his feet and he says to them, peace be with you. They see him. They speak with him. But Thomas, Thomas is absent. Why? We don't know. But time goes by. In fact, a whole week goes by until we get a little later in that John 20 chapter. A week later, same place. Jesus comes again to the upper room where the disciples are still gathered. And Thomas is there this time. And Jesus addresses Thomas particularly. Shows him his hands and his feet. Touch them, he says. Put your hand in my side. We're sometimes a little hard on Thomas. Doubting Thomas. We kind of put him down a little bit, don't we, sometimes? But all Thomas wants is what you and I want. We want proof. We want to be sure. But here is Jesus again. They've seen him, they've touched him, heard him speak, saw him eat some fish. The disciples know that it's Jesus. That's the second time. And now this is the third time by the Sea of Galilee, which brings us conveniently if you've still got your Bible open, to verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Why Galilee? 
Why Galilee? Because Jesus had told them that he would meet them in Galilee. Mark 14, 28. When I rise from the dead, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. They went to the tomb to find that it was empty, and they met an angel there, and the angel told them, he's not here, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. And now the disciples have arrived in Galilee. More time has passed, perhaps another week. It's quite a journey from Jerusalem to Galilee, and they've made the journey, they've arrived, they're waiting, they hope they're in the right place because Jesus doesn't necessarily tell them exactly where to meet them or when he's going to meet them. And so they're waiting to meet with Jesus again. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. There's a lot of debate amongst people, maybe amongst you, certainly amongst some of the countries, as whether Peter does the right thing or the wrong thing. Is he just going back to his old ways? The only thing he knows, he thinks the life with Jesus may be over and, well, let's go back to fishing. It could be that. It could be actually that you know that some of the women, Peter was married, he had a mother-in-law, so I guess he must be married. Um, The other disciples had loved ones as well. There's quite a group of them, seven of them go fishing it may simply be that actually there are bills to be paid, there's food to be put on the table and we could go fishing and we could earn some money in the market and pay for what we need. It may be nothing more than that. So they, seven of them, go fishing and they catch nothing. Absolutely nothing. What's the problem? Well, you do the maths. It's not difficult. They had the skill. Add to the skill the methods that they employed. Add to the methods their knowledge of the lake and how to fish. Add to their knowledge they've got the equipment There's plenty of them. To the equipment, you could add teamwork. To teamwork, you'd add experience. To experience, you can add opportunity. To opportunity, you can add time and place. Everything you'd think they'd need to fish. Skill plus method plus knowledge plus equipment plus teamwork plus experience plus opportunity plus time plus place. Subtract Jesus And your answer is nothing. But suddenly, Jesus is there. Suddenly, Jesus is there on the beach, too far away to be recognized at this point. He calls out, hey guys, you got any fish? No. No fish. Okay. Do it this way. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. And you know what? They obey this stranger that they haven't yet recognized. They've got the same stuff, the same people, the same equipment, the same opportunity, the same skills, everything else, but now they do what Jesus says. 
They cast it on the right side of the boat and suddenly they've got a harvest, an abundance, a giant catch. I wonder if they were instantly reminded of a giant catch on another occasion, Luke chapter 5. Remember the story? Jesus is on the beach preaching and the crowd is pressing in on him and he says, this is getting too close for me, he says to Peter, whose boat is there, excuse me, says to Peter, whose boat is there, can I borrow your boat for a minute? Push out a little from the shore and he spends some time teaching the people from the boat so that they can't crowd him. And at the end of his sermon, he says to Peter, push out your boat into the deep water and let down your nets for the catch. How much have they caught that night? Nothing. But if you say, Lord, we'll let down the nets for the catch, and they suddenly find themselves with the biggest catch they've ever had up to that time, they have to call James and John over in their boat to help them rescue it and bring it ashore. Jesus said, John chapter 15, apart from me, Without me, you can do nothing. I wonder if this is a challenge to you and I individually. It's certainly a challenge to me. Is it perhaps a challenge to us as a church, as a community? Have we got all the stuff? Have we got all the programs? Have we got the organization? Have we got the people? Have we got the skills? Have we got everything we need? But do we from time to time forget to include Jesus and listen to him and what he says and his way of doing things? That's a challenge to me. So they catch a big catch in their nets. And John, yes, he's there again. John says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And now Simon, Simon, impetuous Simon, Simon who puts his foot in his mouth a bit too often sometimes, Simon who's very eager. John says it's the Lord and he just takes his cloak and wraps it around him and he's over the side and gone, striking out for the shore. Notice there's something different about this occasion than there was about the first occasion. On the first occasion, when he caught the giant catch, Peter said to Jesus, go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. He wants to put distance between himself and Jesus. But not this time. This time he wants to be with Jesus. It's the most important thing. Forget the fish, forget the boat, forget the friends. I want to be with Jesus. And he's over the side and heading for it. What is, what is our big hope? What is our big dream? What is our big failure? in the middle of our big dream and hope and maybe even our failure, do we really want to be with Jesus? Where is time with Jesus on our priority list?
That's the question that stands out for me out of this preparation. Where is time for Jesus for me on my priority list? Coming into the shore, we find that Jesus invites them to breakfast. His main concern seems to be to have these men with him. There are loose ends to be tied. We'll see that more particularly next week as we finish the chapter. He's got a job for them, yes. A lifetime purpose for them, yes. Hard times may be ahead, perhaps. But Jesus' first call is still his current call. He says to his men, follow me, be with me. If we get through to Revelation 20, we find that Jesus still stands at the door and knocks and says, if you open the door, I will come in and I will eat with you. Jesus wants our intimacy. Who's invited to this intimacy, this meal with Jesus? Well, public failures like Peter, for one. Known doubters like Thomas, for two. Faithful souls like Nathaniel, guys of uncertain temperament like James and John, and two others, perhaps, perhaps those slots are reserved for you and for me, with our strengths, yes, and with our weaknesses too. If we follow the story through, we find Jesus spends the next 50 days restoring, encouraging, empowering, reassuring his friends. What does he need to do for you and for me? Are we amongst those who are convinced that Jesus died and Jesus rose again? Have we taken a serious look at the evidence to see what it means for us. There's a course coming up. I didn't bring the card with me, but we'll get it in the notices, I guess. There's a course coming up over the next few weeks where you can come and you can ask exactly those questions and find out what Jesus has really done for us. Do we need restoring because we've slipped back into old ways, perhaps? Are we doing things in our own strength, We've got the skills and the team, but we've been leaving Jesus out. Have we made it a priority to keep close to Jesus? Are we eager, like Peter, to be near him? Do we bring our hopes, dreams, failures and successes to him? Are we obeying his leading, doing what he says? Are we still following the one who calls us to follow. Let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the challenge that we have heard within these verses. We pray once again that you will restore us. We pray that we may be encouraged by them, We pray that you will empower us. Renew our hope, we pray.
that we may follow you more closely in the days ahead. In your name we ask it. Amen.